All right, you guys, um, honored and excited this morning to uh, welcome my brother in Christ, uh, Brother C.L. Jordan from Louisville, Kentucky, um, where he has been pastoring for over 10 years, uh, the Bible Community Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm um, just humbled and excited for this man of God to come and preach. Amen. As uh, S.C. Uh, comes this morning, um, just maybe a little bit of how we arrived here. Um, CL was uh, on the team there to Zimbabwe with Brother Todd and I, and I know you need this, and um, I'll let you set up here, man, I'll just step back here, and um, as he was, we got an opportunity to meet him, and just to, to fellowship, and meet his bride, Miss Peggy, at, at the, we had a, a picnic there in Louisville before we went, just a team building time, and then just a great opportunity uh, to be there. Um, I will be straight and up front with you guys. I, we tried both Todd and I to get him to go walk with lions with us. Uh, we're hoping and praying that will happen next time. Um, but it, <laughs> um, so, but here, here's what happened. So the Sunday morning that we were there, um, the team that I was on, there was about four of us, I guess, and we went to a, to a community, a little small church. I mean, just, man, it was, it was, and just the worship and the passion there. And then CL got up and brought the word and, as he preached, man, my spirit was just stirred within me. What a man of God. Hearing him bring fresh manna. And I thought, man, Lord, um, what are you doing? And the Lord began to say, that's the man I'm calling to come and preach when the revival time comes. And later that next week, we were at the Zimbabwe Seminary. And um, it was the Friday. We had all been gone. And we met back up. And I looked across the room. And he was sitting across the room diagonal from me. And the Lord again just spoke as clear as day and said, that's the man I'm calling to come and preach. And then um, we had talked a little bit, and we were playing some ball early one morning when I was up at school. And um, CL, these guys know that I, I've at times not been the most faithful witness on the court. Um, and CL was being a little bit antagonized by someone that was gardening. Um, and I already thought, dude, if that was me, it'd probably be on like Donkey Kong in this place. And he did the exact opposite. You showed love, self-control. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, the fruit of the Spirit. And it was just a further affirmation, that's the man of God. Not just the man of God behind the pulpit, but a man of God on the basketball court, a place that I often struggle, and he was getting it right. And so, man, just God's just continually over time just affirmed his calling. And Brother Todd and I, we're just honored and privileged that you would be here. Our people, we are, we are humbled and excited that you're here. So I want to pray and, and get out of the way. Father, I thank you for my brother. I just thank you for his life. I thank you for his faithfulness. Um, Lord God, I thank you for he and Miss Peggy. We thank you for the sweet fellowship that we had last night, the time of sweet prayer. And just, uh, Father, I pray you would use him in a mighty way. God, I pray that you would preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, that you would open our eyes to see. God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Give us hearts that are open and receptive. May we be good soil. And, Father, I pray we'll be immediately obedient to your word and the prompting of your spirit. Father, strengthen my brother. Protect his heart and mind from the enemy. And, God, I just pray again that you would just use him in such a mighty way. We love you, Lord. We're humbled and excited that you would send your servant to us. God, now may we hear what you have for us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. God bless you, my brother. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We thank God for the day and all of you guys, people who have come into the house of Bethel 
We are humbled to be here this morning to share uh, with you uh, from the Word of God. I am so thankful um, uh, for the opportunity to be here. My family and I uh, are just happy to be here. I want to bring you greetings from, uh, as Todd has already said, I'm sorry, as one of them, uh, Todd R. Blake has said, from Bible Community Fellowship, Missionary Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and from the Kentucky Baptist Convention uh, and the um, the missions mobilization team, uh, which I sit as the chair. Also, I bring you greetings from our greetings are sent um, by the the executive uh, assistant executive director, Dr. Curtis Woods uh, from the KBC. Uh, spoke to him briefly this morning, and he asked me to give the church um, his love. Uh, I want to just thank God again for being here. Um, Blake, um, thank you for that. Ty, these two brothers, as they've said already, we met. Um, back in October, as those brothers were um, were trying some things that probably their wives and you, the church, would not have advised had you known that they were going to do them. And so, um, as you know probably already, I don't know if they've showed you the video, but they got some real nice, impressive videos, if, if you haven't seen them, already with them walking with the lions. And so, uh, they asked me uh, if I would walk with the lions, and someone said, well, it only costs a little less than $100.00. I told him I thought it was a bad investment. And I also want to tell you is there's some things I was going to say while we were there, there's some things that black brothers just don't do. But then something else happened. We had one of our black brothers decide that he was going to go walk with the lions. So that went that. I, 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 uh, these brothers, I want to tell you, have been very, very uh, loving. Uh, my wife had some surgery during some uh, months ago. And these brothers, both of them, uh, I don't even know that they knew that both of them at the same time were, were texting me back and forth, um, just sharing prayers and, and their uh, concerns and, and some well wishes for, for my wife and for her, um, her recovery. So I thank God for that. There were some good brothers who, who are loving and kind. We had a great time last night with them and their families. My God, and Todd cooked so well. And uh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And... Uh, so anyway, we just thank God for all of that. I want to, this is a revival, the start of a revival, and I've got a challenge. Uh, as you can see, it's no secret, I'm black. And in the black churches, um, we don't get out in no hour, all right? Uh, but it's a challenge. Uh, so Todd told, I mean, uh, Blake told me not to preach three hours a day. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But this is a revival, and I want to tell you that a lot of times people misunderstand revivals. They sometimes mistaken revivals for evangelistic um, uh, ministries and purposes. Revivals are for churches, for Christians uh, that have been born again and need uh, some resuscitation. And so in my attempt in these uh, several days or so is to resuscitate you and to bring you through God's word um, to help encourage you as the people of God to do the work of the God of God. And so I'd like for you, if you would, to turn with me in uh, your Bibles to First Peter 5, 1 through 4. First Peter 5, 1 through 4. Amen. For your reading, the elders which are among you, I exhort 
whom am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I read that from the King James Version. That's probably telling my age a bit. But I want to use for subject today, no fading crown. It was the year of 1952, a young Florence Chadwick had already swam the English Channel a couple of times. She had started out to swim and to make a, uh, an attempt uh, from the Catalina Islands to reach the California shore. And so while she was swimming, um, there was a lot of fog and cold weather that had come up on her, and several times those in her party would have to fire a weapon to keep the sharks away. So many hours later and almost to the destination, Florence, uh, without listening to her mother who was there encouraging her to stay in the water, decided that she would get out of the water and not complete her journey. When she was up on the shore, she learned that she was only a mile shy of completing her task. When asked why she got out of the water, Florence decided that it was not the danger of the sharks, and it wasn't the cold water, but it was the fog. If Florence, she said, if I could have just seen dry land, if it wasn't for the fog, I think I would have made it. Well, I want to tell you that some of us are, have jumped out of the race. Some of us have gotten out of the water all because of the fog that's in our lives. And so I want to share with you today um, that uh, just stay in the race because if you stay in the race, you'll find out that the end is not too far along. In this particular uh, text, we see that Peter says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ and of his glory. He witnessed the crucifixion, uh, we believe, from afar because all the disciples had taken off. But he had also seen the glory of, of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. But by the time that Peter writes this letter, I believe that he knew what it meant to suffer for Christ. I really wish I had time today, but I don't have time today of talking about the suffering that we as Christians should expect to do and to have because of Christ. But earlier we find that Peter was rebuked by Jesus because he had failed to accept the fact that Jesus had to suffer at Calvary. On another occasion, he denied knowing Jesus when it had been discovered that he had been with Jesus. And then there was a time when Jesus had to urge Peter to put away his knife after Peter had cut a man's ear off when they had come to apprehend Jesus. Late, later, we find that Peter was nowhere to be found during the execution of the crucifixion. When we look, however, and listen to Peter during his writings, we see that 
he is much different and a much more mature follower of Christ when he writes this letter than when he was when he was walking with Christ. In fact, I believe that Peter is much more aware of who he is and his vulnerability to the attacks of Satan. And this is why I believe he writes in 1 Peter 5 and 8 for us to be watchful, to be vigilant, because the adversary, our devil, is seeking to whom he may devour. Peter, at this time, I believe he knows what Jesus was trying to tell him earlier, what it's like to be sifted as wheat, or at least Satan's desire to sift him as wheat. And so he warns the believers to be vigilant, to be watchful in the midst of suffering. And I want to urge and encourage you as believers today to make sure that you're watchful because we all have a common adversary and his name is the devil. Peter, as all of us, was looking towards the return, however, of Christ. And at that return, he was expecting a crown. Now, if you say amen with me, this is the way it works at home in the black church. If you say amen with me, amen, say amen, I will get going, amen, and then I will get gone. And then you get a chance to go home, amen. But prayerfully, you are among the elite group of people that Christ has chosen to run this heat. However, some have entered, I want you to know, some people have entered into the race, because Peter used this as a metaphor, um, but, but some have entered into the race illegitimately. These are those that have entered the race only later to be disqualified because they have not properly registered for the race. Now, to those of you who are out there who may not be saved, we want you to know that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And so in order to register for heaven, you must come through Jesus. Amen? Amen. So my goal today is to encourage you, pastors, uh, as well as the believers, to keep your eyes on the finish line. No matter what suffering may bring, there's a crown along with, with this glory that Peter talks about that will, will be revealed to us when we reach the finish line. In 1996, I had an opportunity to work at the Olympics in Atlanta. I was a certified peace officer, uh, and I was working some security there, and I was working at Georgia Tech at the Aquatic Center. Um, but there was a story that Gordon Fitz was running. It tells a story of a, a sports shoe company that ran an advertisement with this line. You do not win the silver, but you lose the gold. What it's saying is that no person enters into any event with the mind of losing it, but winning it. I hope that you, when you said yes to Jesus, that you entered into the race with the mindset of staying in the race. Uh, there was an illustration of a young man who had run a marathon in one of the Olympics. He happened to be some five or six hours behind everyone else. When he had completed the race, someone asked him the question and said, why in the world would you stay in the race being five, four to five hours behind. He said, it is simple. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start a race, but they sent me 7,000 miles to complete a race. 
So I want you to understand that God has put you in this race. He sent you here, not so that you can drop out of the race, but that you will stay in the race. Do I have any witnesses? Amen. So we've entered into the race to fight a good fight. We've entered into the race, as Paul tells a young Timothy, to finish the course and to keep the faith. Those who quit in the middle of the race are those who are not counted. They have not counted the cost for running for Jesus. Jesus says a man who's not willing to, to work for him or follow him is not fit to put his hand to the plow. But the problem is, is that in the church sometimes we have poor athletes. Poor athletes. We have those who are found cheating by doping. They don't want to do what it takes and suffer what it takes to win. There are those who are not reading their Bibles. There are those who would never come in for Bible study. There are those who skip Sunday school. I may meddle with you. I'm a pastor. I'm sorry. Sometimes I have a, a memory loss, and sometimes it is uh, service time back in Louisville, and so sometimes I might revert back to where I am in my, in my service there. So please forgive me. They want to win, but they don't want the pain of winning. Most of them start off good reading their Bible, start off good praying, start off good going to Bible study and Sunday schools. But somewhere down the line, they wanted to enhance their chances of winning. But they wanted to do it independently of God. There were some athletes, you remember Lawrence, uh, Lance Armstrong. You remember Alex Rodriguez and Maria Sharapova and Barry Bonds, and Sammy Sosa, and Marion Jones, rather, uh, just to name a few. These people got caught cheating because they didn't want to suffer what it took to endure the good work of a good athlete, as, Timothy, as Paul would tell Timothy, of a good soldier. Many people in the world will tell you the object is to win, so do whatever it takes to win. However, when the Christian talks about winning, our definition of winning is finishing well. We know and expect to win, or we expect that to win means that we must suffer. It means that we must have trials. It means that we must have struggles and tears and toils and pains. To win means that we have to keep our eyes on the prize. You know why? Because suffering produces endurance. That's what the scripture says. John C. Maxwell says that great leaders emerge out of adversity. Endurance produces character. In, in one of the, uh, the 2016 Olympics, Allison Felix was in a narrow lead to win the 400 meters. And everyone in my house was cheering her on. We happened to be friends with her mother and her father. But when Jamaica's Shawnee Miller, some of y'all might remember this, threw herself across the finish line, everybody in my house became angry. We cried, cheater, loser. I believe every American that was watching that night was upset with Shawnee Miller of Jamaica, but I want you to tell you tell you that Shawnee Miller gave her best that day, and that day she appeared to want it more. See, the rules of the race is however you get across that line, if you make it first, 
you're the winner. We didn't agree with that, but that was the ruse. But the next thing I did and we did as we calmed our anger down and settled back into our chairs, I, I text, sent a text to Allison's dad, and I said, man, I'm proud to see the character of Allison and how she handled adversity. Allison never wavered. She remained poised with her smile, and she graciously accepted the silver medal. Folks, we're not going to always win, but we've got to maintain good character. Stay in the race. But I want to tell you a little bit about the history of crowns before we get to the crust of this, and I better move on. The history of crowns. Crowns, the Greek word for crowns is stephanus. It comes from Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. But it's translated as a badge of honor or a badge of royalty. And so you and I who are Christians, and especially those as Peter is talking of in this particular text, those preachers, he is saying, we look forward to this banner of honor. It speaks of our willingness to be martyred for Christ. Anybody here willing to die for Christ? It's kind of hard to say with, unless you're willing to live for him, right? The songwriter says, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. So the question for you today is, are you willing and ready to suffer for Christ? What an honor it would be to stand at the Bema seat in the glory of our Savior to hear him say, well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. Well done. Oh, come on. Anybody here want to hear those words? Well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. Those are not just words. Those will happen. I'm looking for the time when we'll receive the imperishable crown. I don't have time to go there, but 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and, 20, and 25 tells us about the imperishable crown. And what about the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20? What about the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4 and 8? And then there's a crown, the crown of life in Revelation 2 and 10. James says in 1 and 12, he says, he says, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the crown. Amen. And then there's the crown in this text, the crown of glory. I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I believe that if the Lord allows me. I will take the crown that he gives me, and I want to be able to cast it at his feet. But in this text, Peter renders this exhortation to encourage the elders to take sides with him or to aid him in conducting themselves in accordance to the rules of the race. Now, remember, Peter says that he is a partaker as he's talking to the elders in this race. So I want to run through this real quickly. 
He tells the elders to feed the flock. Feed the flock. He's giving this instruction as a practice that has no end to it. In other words, they are to always feed the flock. For a good shepherd is always in search for green pasture for the sheep. The shepherd knows also the nature of sheep. And he realizes that the sheep have a special and delicate diet. The job of the shepherd is to search for a proper place for grazing. And if you have a pastor, and I believe you do, I'll spend a little time with him, that preaches the word of God, that feeds you. This is a little crown wisdom is what I call it. If he feeds you well, the Bible says that he is owed double honor. Let me tell you what double honor is. It's not always just money. But you ought to treat him well. You ought to love on him well. Amen. Y'all want me to go, right? Take care of his family well. The Bible says that if he labors in the word and doctrine, then he is, he is worthy of double honor. You see, that shepherd is spending time trying to make sure that there are no poisonous plants around. He's trying to make sure that, that there are no doctrines that would take you away from the true word of God. And you ought to love a man who spends time in the word of God. Do I have any witnesses? The Bible says here, Peter says he ought to take the oversight to look diligently, that is, or to inspect and care for the sheep. The pastor should contemplate as he observes the lives of the flocks that they're being governed by the word of God. The pastor is to correct, hello somebody, the unspiritual behaviors of the flock. That, that task there sometimes becomes difficult. In fact, the life of a pastor can be very paradoxical in that we are to be gentle, we're to be loving, we're to be one who's not given to arguments, we're to be meek and not self-willed and not quick-tempered, yet we are to advise, reproof, with reproof and correction, and to train in righteousness. And this sometimes causes confrontation with those who may not want to shepherd. Everybody in the flock does not want to be shepherded. Hello, somebody. And so if you happen to be one of those that don't want to be shepherd, you need to understand that sheep cannot get from A to point B without a shepherd. And that the shepherd is being led by the chief shepherd. Do I have any witnesses today? Then the pastor is the pastor, but not with constraint. He's not to do this by force. People must be willing, however, to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. We put too much pressure on the pulpit. And it's too much pressure for him to come here every single week to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and you do nothing. You said, are you coming here with accusations? You just like everybody else. Every sheep are the same. All sheep are the same. Amen? All sheep are the same. And I want you to know something. Your pastor has not said anything to me. I've been preaching this same message for the last four weeks, for the last four churches, and I'm getting the same, reason, same response. That's when we know we're on the right track. Amen. Somebody ought to say ouch. But the pastor is also, he's to do it willingly. No one should make him do the office. He should do the job with the right motives. And every now and then, he may not want to come to church. I told my wife about two or three months ago, I said, it's a shame when people don't want to go to church. And she said, yeah, you're sure right. I said, but it's really a shame when it's the pastor. 
Yeah, y'all get that later, some of you. I was having trouble that day. But it's the work, but not for filthy lucre. If you've got a man that's not charging you to open up the doors, that's not charging you to open up the scripture, go to, go to Malachi and you'll see. He should not demand, intimidate, dominate, nor manipulate the church in giving money beyond what they're able to do. But the church ought to take care. This is crown wisdom. You ought to take care of your pastor faithfully. Say amen. Amen. I'm just telling you the truth. If he's preaching the word, take care of him. Number six, he should do it with a ready mind. He must be brisk and cheerful. He should look forward to preaching and teaching God's word. Every now and then we have some Jeremiah experiences. If you pastor some of the folks I pastor, Lord have mercy. Sometimes you don't even want to look at the church. Yeah, and you dread Sunday mornings coming. But there's something in a pastor that God has put in a pastor. It's like fire, Jeremiah said, that shut up in the bones. Sometimes when you don't want to preach, brother, you got to preach. You got to preach when folks don't want to hear it and when they want to hear it. Got to be willing, preaching, ready. Amen, church. Not being lords over God's people. We must remember Pastors must remember that no matter whatever the challenge, no matter whatever's going on, we must remember that we cannot lord over God's people. God can't lead some folks, so you know we can't. We're not to subdue the flock under our power, nor should we misuse our power by trying to control the flock. Pray for them. Love them. And then he says, lastly, be thou an example this translates as making a blow or an impact. In other words, when your pastor, when you look at your pastor who's as loving and as humble as the pastor that you have here at, at, at this particular church, when you see him, you ought to imitate him. Amen. Praise God. We've got to do it in sections. A pastor should be a picture of self-denial and should make an impression of holiness. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 34 says, Be ye followers of me, as I am also a follower of Christ. As the pastor goes, so goes the church. We hope. If you are a good sheep, you will follow the pastor. It amazes me. Oftentimes, I've pastored three churches now. I've pastored over a span of 24 years. But it amazes me, there's always somebody in the church that knows a little bit more than the pastor. Imagine that. And many times, they don't spend five minutes in God's Word. They don't spend five minutes praying. I want you to know that we've got to be careful that the culture of the world does not infiltrate the church. And there's so many people who want to bring the culture of the world into the church. But I believe Paul says that we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not to conform to the world. Do I have any witnesses? And so the church has to be very, very careful. We don't run God's business like we run the world's business. God's business should be run with holiness. And if you are a deacon elder in the church, you ought to be a man who is full of the Holy Ghost, of good rapport, and is full of wisdom. 
not manipulated by other people, not pushed by other folks, but you better know the word of God and you better know it yourself because you are accountable for the business of the church. If you're a pastor or preacher, you better preach the word. Even when people don't say amen, even when they don't say hallelujah, you better preach the word. I tell preachers all the time, don't worry about how people act in the church because they, they're just like the people that Jesus had. Hosanna! Hosanna! And then what happens? The next week they say, crucify him! Crucify him! I'm careful people who pat me on the back. Pastor, that was a good one. You're really good because some of the same folks are the same folks who will say, get rid of him. And let me tell you something. Nobody gets rid of God's preachers. God is the one who does that. Amen? If a man is preaching the word of God, you make sure that you love him. So the shepherd must also remember that his reward is at the finish line. Well, all of us as Christians, our reward is at the finish line. There will be no parades. Remember that, brothers. There will be no parades, no grandstands along the way for shepherds. Kings and queens and presidents do not summon the shepherds to their courts to praise their efforts or of feeding for feeding and caring for God's sheep. No, there is no top 50 start for the best shepherd. When a shepherd dies, there's no TV shows, no CNN, no NBC, all those things, no news segments and talking about how great a person he was. But, oh, you just wait. There's a finish line, brothers. There's a finish line that's coming, and the chief shepherd is on his way back, and he has a crown for you that does not fade away. So Peter had in mind the great games where they would give a crown they would place a crown of garland and ivy around the head of the victor. But he says, the crown that you will receive will never fade away. God has a crown that he's going to give to those who hang and stay in the race. And 2 Corinthians 4 and 17 and 18 says, For the light momentary affliction is preparing for the eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to those things that are unseen. For the things that are not seen are transient, but the things unseen are eternal. Hang in the race. Christians, believers, those of us who love Jesus Christ, we've got to remember to say, stay and hang in the race. Suffering comes with being a saint. It, 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 is, it, is, it is not an elective course, but a prerequisite. In 1 Timothy 3 and 12, I believe it says that, yea, and all those who would live godly shall suffer persecution. So we know that we will suffer persecution. But you just hang in there because there comes a day when we will receive a crown. Several years ago, there was an experiment on endurance. It was conducted at the University of Cal, Berkeley. The experiment involved field rats and putting them, placing them in a tub of water. These rats were forced to swim until they grew exhausted and tired. During the first experiment, the researchers discovered that on the average that these rats were capable of swimming over seven hours before drowning. Then there was a second experiment. 
The second experiment was conducted exactly like the first one, at the exception this time, when a rat got too exhausted and too tired, uh, the lab technicians would take the rat and take them out of the water for a few seconds and then place them back into the water. These rats were able to swim for almost 20 hours before perishing. The researchers concluded that the rats in the second group were able to swim so much longer than the first group because of one factor. They had hope. They had experienced a rescue. And what kept them going was the hope that they would be rescued again. And so the reason why you and I can keep running the race, even though we've had days of suffering and days of turmoil and days of pain, is that we have experienced the first rescue. Jesus Christ has come into our hearts and has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Hello, somebody. And what gives us hope and what keeps us running is that we know since he went to Calvary and he finished the work. Oh, somebody ought to say amen. You ought to be shouting hallelujah. You remember how you used to be, right? Look down at your old dirty portfolio and recall the things that you used to do. He saved you. He saved me from those very things. And because he's rescued us that time, we look forward to the rescue when he'll return again. And give us a crown. You ought to say amen. Y'all making it hard on a brother to preach here. A black bro- boy, I tell you. Say amen. So by, by Wednesday, we're going to have it. Yeah. The songwriter says that when the battle is over, you remember that song? We shall wear a crown. Well, I wish we'd sing some of them old hymns. We should wear a crown. Remember. I want you to understand, there was a friend of mine, Dr. Robert Smith, who says that when God calls you, sometimes God stretches you. He stretches you so that you can be what he's called you to be. There will be a time that you and I will enter into the arena to receive our crown for finishing the race. However, right now, we must keep striving, keep running. We must avoid the pitfalls and keep our heads up so that we keep our eyes on the finish line. People will discourage you at times, but keep your eyes on the finish line. People will disobey God's word while you're preaching and teaching, but keep your eyes on the finish line. People will abandon you at times, but keep your eyes on the finish line. People will talk about you and misuse you, but you just keep your eyes on the finish line. I want you to know as I close out here today that you're in great company. You see, because you were not the first one to run a race. I shepherd. Our chief shepherd, Jesus, was mocked. He was abandoned. He was laughed at. But he went to do the will of the Father. Jesus went the distance in the race. He ran the race all the way to the heel of the skull. He ran it from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. He ran it until the sun refused to shine. He ran it until the earth began to shake and shimmer in disbelief of what was happening to its creator. Jesus ran the race all the way to the tomb. The devil thought the race was over. He thought Jesus had given up the race. But he thought he also had fainted into eternity. But early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, there was activity on the track. Satan had not realized the strength and the power of the Father and the strength that the Father had given the Son. Jesus sprung forth as the victor of the race. 
So I want you to keep running the race. Because my Bible tells me in 2 Timothy 2, 4 and 8, Henceforth there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that on that day. And not only me, but to all of those who look and love his appearing. I don't know about you, but I want to stay in the race. I don't want to be those that are cheating or trying to dope or get, because those will be the ones that Matthew 25 talks about, those that will try their best to say, but Lord, I did this in your name, and I did those things in your name. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. I want to say to you, and I'll say more to you, the Lord's will, as the week goes on, but I want to encourage you, as these pastors and these preachers preach and pour out their hearts the word of God, I want to encourage you. To love them, to protect them, protect the word of God. And as long as they preach and as long as they proclaim this holy writ, and they do it from cover to cover, I want you to love on them, pray for them. This is a hard job, a very difficult job. And no man with any kind of sense enters the job unless he's been definitely called by God to do the job. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word. Lord God, we thank you for these pastors, oh Father, who are proclaiming your word. We ask God that you will strengthen them, guide them. We pray for this dear church, for the rich history here, dear God. We thank you for for their presence, and we pray that you will strengthen them to strengthen and encourage the pastors that are here. And that they will reach out to a dying world and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. This we ask in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. We want to extend an invitation today. If by any chance you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to first invite you to the altar. The Bible says, for it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that all of us are just alike. There's equality in sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I want to tell you, there's good news. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're here today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he wants you to come today, give the preacher your hand, but to give God your heart. And so as we stand today for an invitation, we invite you down if you've never never known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then we want to invite those who need to be revitalized, resuscitated. And you and only you know where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know whether you need to rededicate your life to Christ. And if you're here today, we invite you down to do that as well. Some of you may say, well, you know, I don't want to do any of those. I just need some prayer. If you need prayer, we want you to come down today. God knows what you need prayer for. We don't need to know that. But we invite you to come today. As, as, as the musicians play, we're going to ask you to stand. And we're going to ask and invite you down. If you need prayer, we know that Pastor Jesse will be here. Pastor Young will be here. They will pray for you. Is there one that will come down today?
You'll pray for the revival. We invite you to come down. I need some prayer warriors to pray for this revival. The church needs some prayer warriors. The Lord needs some prayer warriors. You're here today and you'll commit to praying for this revival. Why don't you come down? Thank you. Thank you so much. Pray for the revival. We need prayer warriors to pray for this revival. 